Today's Bible reading is from Mark 6, verses 30 to 44. Jesus feeds the 5,000. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, he be- then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognised them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have then, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Thank you, Margaret. Uh, Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, Welcome to those of you that might be uh, live streaming in. I did get the pleasure of getting that email from Adrian during the week, just in time for me to speak. Um, so if you don't know me, my name is Luke, um, uh, and it's a privilege and an honour to be able to bring God's word for us today. So before I get started, how about we pray? Our loving Father, we do uh, pray this morning that you would help us to have ears um, that are open and ready to listen, that we would have eyes that can see uh, the truths in your scripture, that you would give us hearts um, that will be softened and that you'll give us our uh, minds to be able to understand your word this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I just wanted to start just quickly by giving you a, a little bit of the significance of this passage. I know Rachel's spoken a couple of times and, um, and, and when she started, she sort of said, look, this is a story that you may remember from times when you were at Sunday school. But it is a really, really significant story, the feeding of the 5,000. It actually appears in, it's the only miracle that appears in all of the four Gospels. Um, And Jesus is actually astounded um, that the disciples don't get this miracle. He actually goes on a couple of times, as we read in chapter 6, a little bit later on, that he just cannot understand that the disciples haven't worked out what Jesus is all about, who he is, the significance of him, from this one miracle. So if you look at 6.52, it says this. Immediately he spoke to them and said, so Jesus has just walked along the water and I'm sure we'll probably cover this in coming weeks, but 
Jesus has, has come across the lake, appeared to them walking on the water, and when he spoke to them, when he got into the boat, he said, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they did not understand about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. And again in 8.17, a few verses, a few chapters on, Jesus has done a very similar miracle. He's fed the 4,000, but he refers back to the feeding of the 5,000, and he says this to them when he's talking about the, the yeast amongst the Pharisees. He says to them, in verse 21, he says, Do you still not understand? And so he's just done the miracle kind of twice, and he's complex saying, Don't you get it? And the obvious answer for that is, no, we don't get it. Like, we just, we just don't get it. So what is it that they still don't get? Well, they don't understand his identity. They still don't fully understand his supremacy and, and his sufficiency. And they don't see that he's adequate for every single need that they may have. And, you know, this is still the case for people today. They may know about Jesus. They may have an opinion about him. But they just don't quite fully understand who Jesus is, what his identity um, is, and his supremacy and sufficiency. So we're going to have a look. I will go through it verse, well, a little bit of a time, just go through verse by verse, um, just so we can get it. So I'm going to read through um, chunks of it again. So starting at Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So Jesus had sent out the twelve in the chapters beforehand. And they'd gone around to the villages to teach the people, to drive out demons, to heal the sick. They're doing all the things that Jesus had been doing. And they've come back to him now, and they're reporting to him all the stuff that they had been doing. And in fact, the people are so impressed by what they've seen and done and what they're hearing, that they're still coming and following them. So many, in fact, that they haven't even had a chance to eat. I'm not sure if you've ever experienced this, but I am a bit ashamed to say, but in, in my line of work, what I do um, in schools, I often get to the end of the day and I go, why am I hungry? And then I go, that's right, I actually haven't had my recess and lunch. Now, for me, if I do not go out into the playground at recess time and lunchtime, if I don't spend that 20 minutes at recess time and what, like 30 minutes at lunchtime, I know it's going to cost me an hour, an hour and a half at the end of the day, ringing parents, speaking with kids, trying to resolve conflicts, misunderstandings, all that sort of stuff. And so I kind of get it that you can be too busy and kind of forget to eat. And then for me, it's compounded because then I have bus duty after school every single day. And when the buses are late and then we have a staff meeting, I kind of turn up to the meeting with my lunch. And I can almost see the other teachers roll their eyes and go, here we go again. And it's like, yeah, I, I did, I forgot again. I just can't believe it. But sometimes you just get into the groove of teaching and, and doing your work that I don't know if you've ever experienced, but I do just forget to eat. And it comes to a point where I'm pretty hungry. 
You see, the disciples had been doing so many amazing things through Jesus' power that the people were coming and they were coming and they were exhausted and they needed a break and they needed rest. So Jesus tells them, you're going to come with me, we're going to go to a quiet place and we're going to get that rest. And then in verse 32 and 34, we read, so they did go away and they went by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran out on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. So the plan to go to the solitary place, it kind of doesn't work. It, it does, they go to a place, but when they get there, um, all the people have run ahead on foot. And so they've stirred, they're stirred up now, not only by the reputation of Jesus, but they're also fully aware of the work that the disciples had been doing, I mean, the towns that they'd gone around, and so they continue to follow them. And then Jesus, intending to have the disciples stop, is then confronted um, with people there um, ready for them, ready for more miracles, ready for um, more teaching. Now, Jesus could have said, a few things to them but I'll, I'll give you an example of what he didn't say Thursday night I cut my finger I actually got home early um, I hadn't had lunch that day and I intended to do that because I was going to leave work a bit early and come home and I got home and I, <coughs> I thought you know what I'm going to make Melinda dinner tonight I'm going to surprise her by my uh, culinary finesse I'm going to make her potato bake one of her favorite um, meals and so I bought some steaks on the way home, I bought some veggies, and Bonnie, I picked up Bonnie from school and, and we started cutting, and you know, I thought, you know what, I've got to get this done much faster than this. So I pulled out a mandolin. I don't know if you know what a mandolin is. It's um, one of those machines, it's like a big grater and it's got a razor blade on. And I dropped the blade down the depth a little bit deeper, and I put the, the safety thing on and put the potato in there, and I just thought, it's just not fast enough. So um, I grabbed the potato with my hand, cut it a few times, got through the first one okay. Second one got stuck. Oh, this is silly. Grabbed another thing, pushed it through, and I pushed a bit harder. Well, my hand slipped off and I cut my finger. And as soon as I cut it, I knew that a band-aid just wasn't going to fix it. So fortunately, by this time, it was about 5 o'clock, and Noah literally just came up the driveway, and I'm standing there with the my finger wrapped up and said, Noah, look, we've got to turn around and go down to the medical centre. So we go around down to the after-hours medical centre um, down in, uh, near the Kmart area in Penrith there and um, I turn up there and it's not really what I wanted to see. The rooms are actually full of people. And I go, look, that's okay because it's an after-hours medical thing. They'll have doctors on now and then the doctors will wean off as we get to the after-hours time. And I turn up to the, the window of the... Um, the place where you sign in, and and um, it was almost like at a toy st um, Monsters Inc. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. There's like quite a um, impressive large lady there sitting at the screen, and um, I thought, I don't really want to mess with her. And so I said, look, I'm standing there with my finger, and she says, I said, look, is there any chance of seeing a doctor? And she she just looked past me at all the people, and she said. We're not taking anyone else in. And I said, but you're an after-hours clinic. And she said, yes, but that starts at six. 
and then we're down to one doctor and all these people are ahead of you. And I thought, you know what, it's kind of a polite way of saying, go away. <laughs> and so I ended up going <clears throat> to a different place. But, um, you know, Jesus, Jesus could have told the people, look, enough is enough. We've been with you all the time. We, you, you need to go away. But he doesn't. He has compassion on them. And um, he, he wasn't frustrated that they turned up. He wasn't annoyed because his plans had changed. He didn't tell them that they needed to take a number, that they had no appointment. No, he was filled with that compassion of them and that really deep, heartfelt compassion that these people were there. As Jesus looked out over the crowd that had followed him, he saw the people that were like sheep without a shepherd. They'd run from their last destination all the way along the lakefront, moving on en masse to a place where they didn't really know where they were going. I guess they'd guessed they were kind of going to this spot. And they were kind of like just sheep moving without a shepherd. You know, people today aren't too dissimilar to this as well. We move around chasing all sorts of things, whether it be financial security, um, whether it be health stuff. Um, we, we just end up following whatever there happens to be. We're, we're wandering around kind of aimlessly in life, in, in all the wrong directions, searching whether it be for safety, security, peace, fulfillment, and, and in fact, we're actually lost. Jesus' heart is moved with compassion because he sees our need and he sees their need and that need is for a leader i'm not too sure how long ago it was i was trying to work out the actual date but i know it was before melinda and i got married and um we went to new zealand with heather and ian and we'd planned to go over there um you know to see the south island to do some of that adventure stuff go skiing go rafting um believe it or not it was the worst ski season since world war ii and so we had to find another activity. So we did jet boat riding. But <clears throat> the whitewater rafting, when we went whitewater rafting, we turned up there on the day and, and the guys said, look, actually, it's too dangerous for us to go today. We've had so much rain. We haven't really had the snow, but we've had a lot of rain. And the river levels are too high, so you can't go. Um, how about you come back? So we decided, do we do bungee jumping? Do we do the, the jet boat riding? And of course, we chose the jet boat riding. And... Um, we came back the next day and they said, look, the water level is right on the level where we have to call it off or on. But it's, it's a long drive there. So by the time we actually drive there, we reckon the water level will have dropped enough to make it legal. So, so we nearly died on the way in there on the bus because New Zealand's roads up the hills there, there's no security guards, uh, the guardrails and that. So we drive in the bus and we get there, we get kitted up and then we go down... Um, this, these rapids and it was really odd because they had actually more people there so we had all our life rafts and the people that had paid to go there but then they had all these extra tour guides in kayaks that were hopping in the water and they said look these because it's so rough today we've got extra kayak people down there because people will fall out and um, we'll need to kind of make sure they don't keep going down the river we'll rescue them and bring them in and I think Ian got to meet several of those people and I do have a photo which I'm going to show you. Um, and you'll probably notice that there is one person missing in that photo as well. 
It's not the best photo, this is pre-digital. Um, and if you can see closely in there at the back, we do have a tour guide in there. But we spent a big chunk of this ride going down this rapid without that tour guide in there. All the other, all the other rafts got these massive Maori um, blokes in there and we got this five foot pocket rocket white female. And so we were going, oh, she must be something amazing. Which she was, she was really good, until we got to this spot, and I remember, I even looked it up last night just to confirm. She said, look, <coughs> we're going to stop it, we're stopping at this spot here just to regroup. The next thing we're doing, we're going down um, a rapid called the Mother, and then we'll go around the corner, and there's a big, massive rock that sticks out, and we don't want to go anywhere near that. That one's called the Mother-in-Law, and I'm sitting there going, ha, ha. <laughs> it's actually called the Mother-in-Law. And so we go down this first rapid and the, the kayak or the whatever, you, the raft bends in half and shoots Ian and the guide out. And so we're then left going, okay, she said, don't go anywhere near that, rap, that thing. And so where do we go? We're out of control all the way around this thing and we, we hit head on into this rock that she said, don't hit. She said, because you potentially will get us get trapped there circling around and around and fortunately I don't know how it happened but we hit it and then we must have just had enough force to spin around and, and go down it, it was chaos but when we hit that rock I don't know if you can see Heather there too clearly I'll show it to you afterwards she did give me permission she's got blood streaming down her face um, so we we hit this thing so hard that everyone just shot forward with no seat belts and so she's hit Melinda's helmet who's behind me I've got a big smile on my face I thought it was awesome um, I think I was in the safest seat at the front, but um, she smashed her nose on Melinda's um, helmet. You see, without a leader, we're out of control. We, we, we get lost. We don't really know which direction we're heading in. And what, what does Jesus do when he sees them? Well, he has compassion on them because they are like sheep without a shepherd. And so he, and so he begins teaching them um, many things and he addresses the actually the very need that he that the people have at the moment you see throughout the old testament the imagery of a shepherd leader over god's people is constantly used and this imagery is not what most people um, would think about jesus see i imagine most people have some understanding about jesus and i guess when they see a shepherd jesus they think back to maybe their sunday school or cartoons they've seen and I guess they see a kind, gentle, comforting person that might have like a cuddly lamb on their lap, um, something like that. Well, it's not the image of the shepherd that's portrayed throughout the Old Testament. And it's not the image that the people would have understood at that time. They would know that a shepherd was a leader. And in this case, it was a leader who was going to guide the people, um, who will lead the people and in fact, ultimately be their king. I do want us to just jump in our Bible, so if you do have them there, I want to look at just three passages in the Old Testament that will hopefully help us um, see this a little bit more clearly. The first passage, I will give you time to find them. The first passage is from Numbers um, 27. And that's <coughs> Numbers 27, uh, verse 15. So while you're looking that up, just a quick background in on this one. Moses is about to end his time as, as the leader of, of Israel. Um, he's brought them out of Egypt and he's about to hand them over because God said, basically, time's up with this people. 
And so in 27.15, Moses says to the Lord, May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and to come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in, so that the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. See, Moses is worried about the people. He knows what their heart is like. He knows that they wander. And so he's, he's concerned, and as he transitions them over to Joshua, he's saying, may you put in place someone that's like a shepherd, someone that's going to lead them. And if we jump over to Ezekiel, and if you do have your Bibles there, I'm looking at Ezekiel 34. I'm going to be um, just looking at 23. So Ezekiel 34, 23. And so the, the background behind this one is um, God is basically sick and tired of the people that are the shepherds of, of his flock at the moment. He's saying that, that they're abusing the sheep, they actually don't care about the sheep, and they're only thinking about themselves. And so he has, he, he kind of, pronounces judgment on these shepherds that aren't the real shepherd. And so Ezekiel 34, verse 22, we read this. I said 22, didn't I? I'll go from 22. I will save my flock, and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. David's passed away. So we know that he's not going to place over the sheep or his flock King David again. But he is going to place over his flock one in the line of David. One that is a shepherd and a king. And so the identity of this shepherd that's coming to lead the people is one that Jesus is saying, I am he. I am this shepherd king that's come now to lead. And if we jump just to Ezekiel 37, 24. So just over the page, Ezekiel 37, 24 says this. My servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave um, my servant Jacob, the land where your ancestors lived. So he's going to place over them um, one shepherd. And that shepherd is a leader king. You see, when you have your king, you have the shepherd. And when you get the real shepherd, you're going to get the real king. One interesting thing from Luke's account of this passage is that Luke tells us what Jesus began to teach the crowd. Now, remember we said that this um, miracle appears in all four Gospels? In Mark, it tells us that he began to teach them many things. But in Luke's account, it tells us this in chapter 9, 11. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. So he's speaking to them about a kingly thing. This is the kingdom of God. This is what my kingdom is like. So why did he want to speak to them about that? Well, he wants them to have a king. He wants them to have the right king. He wants them to have God's king. 
And we know that Jesus is the promised shepherd, he's the new David, and he's going to lead the people the right way and care for his own flock. See, as we look at our own church, uh, we need to remind ourselves that our direction comes from Jesus. He is our true shepherd, he is our true king. We need to remember that there are dangers around us, that we can be taken this way and that way, we can be attacked, but we do have the true shepherd over us. We know that he's going to provide all that we need. So now, if we jump back into Mark's account, we know that it's getting late. And in verse 35, in verse 35, we do read, by this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. I'm, sh I'm sure that the disciples would have been totally confused by Jesus' comment there. You give them something to eat. He's been providing, Jesus has actually been providing for them the whole time. Caring for them, um, teaching them. It's, it's now the disciples' turn to be taught. And Jesus is going to show them now his identity. He's going to try and make it as clear as he can. His supremacy and his sufficiency. I imagine Jesus may have thought something like this. It's, this isn't in the Bible, this is my thinking. You want these people to go away? You want me to send the flock away when I'm the true shepherd? The flock stays with the shepherd and I, or we, we're going to feed them. So Jesus is setting up now for, for the miracle. He's going to reveal more about his identity, his supremacy and his sufficiency, for not only that his 12 disciples, but for everyone that's there. So they said to him, he answered them, you give them something eat. That's verse 37. And they said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you, do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. So he asked them to go and to find and to look and to search how much they have. And when they come back, they've pretty much got a young boy's lunchbox. You've got five loaves here and two fish. Not exactly going to go very far with the crowd that's before them. So the disciples have nothing really to offer. They're kind of stuck. And so in order for them to be able to feed these people, there's going to need to be a miracle. And Jesus is going to have to deliver on this one. Just like in the desert with Moses, Jesus gets the disciples to get, he makes the disciples get the people into groups of 50s and 100s. And I think it's really interesting that Mark throws in a, a small phrase here that I'm pretty sure we're, we're not meant to miss. And I've got to say that I've missed this phrase every single time I've read it. Jesus gets the disciples in verse 39 to have them sit down in their groups where? On the green grass. Just like a shepherd bringing his flocks, bringing their flock to rest on the mountainside. 
Jesus is about to produce enough food from a tiny amount of food to feed all these people. And just like the miracles where God provided manna and quail in the desert for his people then, Jesus is going to reveal his identity by producing food for them from the little that they had. So much food, in fact, that there's going to be 12 basketfuls left over and the other people will have eaten as much as they wanted. I actually, um, I took Noah and, you know George, right? George Stathios. George Stathios's son, um, Silas, is, kind of, is friends with my son, Noah. And they go riding together. So we left early one morning to go out to Hampton, um, out near Oberon, um, to go riding. And George and I sat in the car. It was a great chance for us to catch up, great chance for, for Noah and Silas to ride their bikes. And we, we just shuttle run them up and down the mountain. And by about 11 o'clock, the boys had had enough riding. So we got there pretty early in the morning, around oh, 8 o'clock, and they rode several hours. And we went out there to the Hampton pub afterwards. Now, if you've never been out there, it is a really good pub, and they do great food. And I just couldn't believe the size of the meals that they served us. In fact, like Silas is an eating machine, and he could not, he could not finish the meal that that had put before him. And so when we left, they didn't want to put to waste everything that was done, so George went and asked for, you know, those Chinese food containers, and they took home both Noah and Silas took home and I was totally shocked that they had all this food left over after riding all morning and without anything to eat. They still couldn't finish their meals. And we get that kind of image here where Jesus provides more than enough. He provides enough to satisfy their hunger, but there's food left over. And um, yeah, th- this is the Son of God who... who He created the universe from nothing and he's creating a feast for at least 5,000 people out of next to nothing. See, this miracle teaches that we can never view Jesus too highly. You can never view Jesus too highly. He is the king. He He is the true shepherd. And no matter what it is that we bring to him, he will be able to use and he'll be able to bless It teaches us that he leaves Moses in his shadow, that he leaves David, King David in his shadow. And these were two of the most significant um, figures um, for the the people of Israel. He leaves, he, he just totally overshadows them. It teaches us, and the disciples should have seen this, that Jesus is God, that he has supremacy over everything. He does what Moses couldn't do and he does what David couldn't do. He just simply gave thanks and provided food. Moses and David had to beg for food to feed people and it was God that provided. They should also see that Jesus was God, that he was the Messiah. And if they understood these things from the events that unfolded that day, they would have known that he is supreme and that he is sufficient. How does this knowledge affect our lives today? Well, it's, it's still the same Jesus. It's still the same Jesus that we follow that's in control of our church. The same one who looks on us and is filled with compassion and he wants us, um, he wants to rule over our lives and to lead us onto satisfying pastures. For me, I think of our youth group 
And, and I know Justin and I and Rachel, we turn up there every week. We would love to have other leaders there to help out. And it's just one of those things that we know that when we go there, we know that God is using us in that place. But we still don't stop asking God for, for new leaders to be raised up. It's just one of those things that I'm, I'm in prayer, prayer for because in my mind I think, how, we, how on earth are we ever going to get new leaders? Because our kids are so young, they're not ready to lead yet. We actually need an injection of some new leaders that want to come in and help. And it's just one of those things that I bring that to God and say, there you go. I know you can do amazing things. What sort of things in your life do you think you can hand over to God, knowing that he knowing that Jesus is supreme, knowing that he is sufficient. See, we need to understand that when things do seem impossible, that we need to be able to bring the little that we have to God and trust that he can supply in his mercy and his grace because he is supreme, he is sufficient. I'm hoping that unlike the disciples today, that just from this small little miracle, which is actually a massive miracle, that we can leave from here today and have our Mondays changed by knowing that Jesus is God. That he, we, we cannot think too highly of him. Let's pray. A loving Father, we, we give you thanks for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the miracles that we see and read about um, in your word, we thank you for the, the words that, that we are taught through reading your scriptures as well. Father, we do thank you that long ago you promised us um, a shepherd, a true leader and a true king. And Lord, we thank you that you delivered on that promise in Jesus. Father, we just give you thanks that he is the Lord and saviour of our church. And we pray that our hearts will be open to your calling and to your leading and that we would follow him for all our days. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.